Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And we're here to uh, promote and to defend public education. That's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in access. Every child should have the opportunities for the very best education that this country can afford and they should have the right to be socially mobile in a democracy like ours. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Our latest press release, number 609, which is up on our website at www.adogs.info, is Australia intent on following the social stratification of the United Kingdom. In the 19th century, Australian citizens and their politicians were determined to leave behind the social distinctions of the old world was like a caste system. But are we, we being dragged back into a top-down society with little hope of social mobility for the children of the poor? By 1900, our forefathers had public systems of education which educated all Australian children together. And you talk to historians who look at the, uh, the letters that the men wrote home from the front and they will tell you how very literate they were. These children were well-educated as early as 1900. By 1900, they had public systems of education which educated all Australian children together. Australia led the world in the educational levels of the citizenry of their fledgling democracy. It was one which practised what Maytown called socialism without doctrine. The dominance of established religion Aristocratic caste systems and inequality were left far behind. Every child, however poor, could look forward to a prosperous life and social mobility. In our history, however, we've always seemed to look backward to the UK. And the current generation of politicians is no exception. In past generations, we pulled forward away from this. There was Bruce back in the 1920s and we rejected him. And there was Menzies after the war and even before the war in the 1930s and we rejected him. But now we are back. Look what we've got. We've got Mr Abbott. Well, um, it's, um, it's, it's a great pity that we can't reject him outright, particularly uh, his education policies. Now, the public funding of private schools which discriminate on the basis of religion and ability to pay hampers social mobility. And one of the major drivers of inequality is the principle of, guess what, parental choice. Because this enables the haves to discriminate against the have-nots. Gonski invented a voucher formula which he hoped might alleviate the gross disparities developing in Australian education. But even this, and it was inadequate, the dogs believe, is being abandoned by an Abbott Pine government with private schools in their DNA. The Victorian ALP, Andrews Government, has also thumbed its nose at the Gonski formula, pouring scarce public resources into the private sector. And Australia is now confronted with a future of downward mobility, as the next generation, deprived of educational opportunities, fall into the downward mobility spiral. So now, 
Australian middle-class parents with secure incomes, which, by the way, is a declining breed, are doing what their UK peers have been doing in recent years. They're shopping around for special choices for their offspring, especially their not-so-bright offspring. Consider the following report about middle-class parents using the glass floor to ensure their children succeed over poorer peers from the United Kingdom. It's a very interesting um, report, which you can find on the independent media. And this is what it says. Wealthy parents create a glass floor to ensure that their less academically gifted children hoard the best opportunities over smarter but disadvantaged peers. And that's the finding of this report. And the report is called Social Mobility and Child Poverty. It's a report of the, that commission. And it found that children from wealthier families but with less academic ability are 35% more likely to become high earners than more talented children from poor families. And the study itself is entitled Downward Mobility, Opportunity Hoarding and the Glass Floor. And it analysed the lives of 17,000 people born in the same week in the United Kingdom in 1970. It found that high attaining children from less advantaged family backgrounds are less able, or at least less successful, at converting early high potential into later labour market success. If policymakers are determined to increase social mobility in a climate where room at the top is not expanding, then the factors that limit downward mobility will need to be addressed. Now, the report also found that wealthier parents were using their resources and influence to give their children an unfair advantage. And these included finding them unpaid internships, using their social networks to form advantageous connections and ensuring that they're able to access better education. The Commission Chairman, Alan Milburn, said of the findings... It has long been recognised that there is a glass ceiling in British society which prevents children with potential progressing to the top. But this research also reveals that there is a glass floor that inhibits social mobility as much as the glass ceiling. It's a social scandal that all too often demography is still destiny in Britain. And how true that is becoming in Australia. Demography is still destiny in Britain. And will we make it the same in Australia? Well, we'll have to fight against it, won't we? And make sure that we have good public schools. The report concluded that a society in which the success or failure of children with equal ability rests on the social and economic status of their parents is not a fair one. Not only is it unfair, but it's a waste of the talents of those with potential from less advantaged backgrounds. It's damaging for the individuals, the economy and the society. Now, in Australia, we have a way around this. We have a public system in every state which is open to all children. And we have teachers that are better to none. And our public systems, many of our schools are still very, very good ones because of the fact that we have inherited them and there is still this belief in Australia that our children should be given a fair go, especially if they have um, ability. But there are those of us who believe that every child is gifted. Every child has a gift and every child should be given an education to develop itself and its abilities to the utmost. And that is the belief system underneath our public schools and they have done a sterling job for many generations. It is a tragedy that we are now confronted in Canberra with people who are depriving our public systems of the necessary funding and it's worse than that. They are taking these funds and they are putting them in the system which will 
not only cause not only cause disadvantage but will cause downward social mobility. Now, Dale has got a very interesting article that uh, follows on from an interview that we had with a very interesting lady called Meg Wallace a few weeks ago. And um, as you know, the dogs also are on about separation of religion from the state because these private schools that discriminate against children and are taking the money from our public systems, they are often religious schools and there is a whole question as to whether or not they should be given one penny, one iota of support from the Central Treasury. Over to Dale. Thanks, Jean. I've got an article here uh, by Ross Fitzgerald entitled Article 18 Doesn't Mean Taxpayers Should Fund Someone's Religion. Article 18 is a section of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights signed by every member of the UN in 1948. Written just after World War II, it attempted to find a form of words that would help ease the traumas of global friction. Its terms are included in many treaties, declarations and bills of rights. Attempting to deal with the belief and the religious dimension of that friction, Article 18 states, Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. This right includes freedom to change his, sick, religion or belief and freedom either alone or in a community with others and in public or private to manifest his religion, sick, or belief in teaching practice, worship and observance. Theoretically, this should also protect the rights of those whose belief is non-belief, whether it be atheism, agnosticism or just leave-me-aloneism. But it doesn't, especially when the leaders of many governments, including those in Australia, continue to use the tax dollars of non-religious people or people of other religions to fund their own personal religious beliefs. Within his first 100 days in office, Victoria... Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews passed new laws that meant taxpayers' money would be used to support all religious and independent schools in his state. The legislation guaranteed to fund these schools to a minimum of 25% of what public schools receive from consolidated revenue, regardless of individual wealth. This flies in the face of the Gonski recommendations, which Victorians could well have expected an Andrews government to have supported – It also flies in the face of Article 18 of the UDHR. These often wealthy religious schools don't even have to account for the funding they've been given. They can use the money to build a squash court for teachers, a darts room for students, or, dare I say it, a course on lesbian surfboard making, and none of us would be any the wiser. It's a no-questions-asked use of taxpayers' money. When these laws were passed in the Victorian Upper House, only the Greens and the Sex Party's Fiona Patton voted against them. In the wake of this legislation, it would be illuminating to see where Victorian MPs, children, go to school. We may well find that most of them attend private schools. If this is the case, then isn't their vote for this funding almost a conflict of interest? Let's say hypothetically that 70% of Victorian MPs sent their children to a Scientology school or an exclusive brethren school and then gave all Scientology and exclusive brethren schools 25% of the funding that the local state school down the road had received with no accountability for how it was spent. Wouldn't there be a public outcry? But what if it turned out that 70% of Victorian MPs' children all went to a Catholic or Anglican school and all Catholic and Anglican schools got the windfall. But guess what? The recent Victorian legislation means that Catholic and Anglican, Scientology and exclusive brethren schools all get the bonanza. A new book by a former law lecturer at the University of Canberra, Meg Wallace, sheds considerable light on this subject. In Freedom From Religion, Rethinking Article 18, Wallace argues that the interpretation and implementation of the terms of Article 18 by the UN, the courts and national governments have led and led to an official privileging of religion. Instead, she maintains, should be protecting the rights of individuals to be free of religion if they wish. 
As far as I know, Patton is the only politician in Australia who is proposing the taxation of churches as a way of levelling out the billions of dollars that religious institutions receive in federal and state government handouts. At the last Victorian election, she claimed that church-owned entities, which included major food manufacturers, insurance companies and publishers, paid no income tax at all. This costs ordinary Australian taxpayers more than $20 billion a year. When one, ex- when one includes GST concessions, exemptions from capital gains tax on property and share trading, and the fringe benefits tax exemption, the cost is actually a lot more. Writing in the Australian Humanist Journal, John Perkins and Frank Gomez estimated the cost of religion to the Australian taxpayer in 2009 was $31 billion a year. That included the cost of funding tax-exempt religious schools, where parents pay fees ranging from $2,000 to $3,000 a year to the elite private schools where $30,000 plus is common. At a state level, religious organisations don't pay property tax. At the local council level, they don't pay rates. At a personal level, there are generous fringe benefits awarded by the Australian Taxation Office. What we don't know is the scale of church land holdings in Australia, the size of their share portfolios or their cash in the bank. Why don't we know? This is because when Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission was established in 2012 by the federal government, it gave religious organisations an exemption from reporting their wealth. A big part of the problem is the ongoing misinterpretation of Article 18 by Australian politicians, especially the section that says everyone should have the freedom to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship and observance. While this means that people should be free to practice whatever beliefs they choose, surely it doesn't intend that ordinary taxpayers should be made to fund someone else's religion. Wallace also looks at Article 18 in a larger context. Consider the Cairo Declaration drafted by 50 Islamic nations in 1990. While maintaining nominal adherence to the UDHR, it declares, in blatant disregard of the related International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, that human rights can can be determined through Sharia law. Adding insult to injury, Saudi Arabia, which executes apostates, recently assumed membership of the Human Rights Council of the UN and is seeking its leadership. Surely Article 18 needs to be reworded. It needs to take the account of the increasing numbers of religious travesties in the world, as well as catering for the large and growing number of people who don't have any faith or religion. Emeritus Professor of History and Politics at Griffith University, Ross Fitzgerald, is the author of 37 books, including his memoirs. My name is Ross, an alcoholic's journey. Yes, thank you very much. And you're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. A very interesting article there. That was published in The Australian um, last week. Australian is getting to be quite an interesting paper, I have to say. Um, this whole idea of... The marriage between religious people and the free marketeers or the free market theologists, there seems to be some tension between them, I think, at the moment, because the follow the money thing is starting to become a bit interesting. Um, I'd like to sort of follow up what you're talking about there in terms of the International Declaration of Human Rights, that's that's Section 18, um, with what's going on here in Victoria, because the Auditor General is a very interesting fellow, I think you'll find out after I share what he's up to with you, the dear listeners, um, is something I would like to um, deal with after these messages. Join us for the launch of Green Left Radio, a new wing of the People's Media on 3CR, featuring a massive lineup of radical beats and rhythms from Ezekiel Ox, Davinia Providential, New Dub City, Release the Dub's DJ Set. Ray Pereira and Kanchana Karnaratna on Afro-Lankan drumming system. And Pressure Drop. Friday, August 21st at 7pm at the Kindred Studios, 212A, Whitehall Street, Yarraville. Full bar and Sri Lankan feast available from 7pm. $15 full and $10 concession. Proceeds go to 3CR and Green Life Weekly. 
And don't forget, you can catch Green Life Radio Fridays from 8 to 8.30 a.m. on 3CR. Yes, you're listening to The Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast. And indeed, our material is available at our website as well at www.adogs.info. Um, I promised just before the break I'd be talking about what the Auditor General here in Victoria is up to. Very interesting fellow. His name is Doyle. He's from Canada. He's not a local. He's been brought in from the outside. And I think when you're dealing with um, education and funding issues in the state government, it's always good to have a, an outside set of eyes, which is what he's providing. Because according to an article by uh, Farah Thomason in The Age of June 28th this year, she says, where does the money go when it comes to education? The Auditor-General is investigating private school funding. She mentions that private schools in Victoria face a sweeping investigation into their finances, with the Auditor-General raising concerns there is not enough accountability in the way of taxpayers' funds are being spent. Not before it's time. The dogs have been saying this for 50 years. Absolutely. Well, it's taken a fellow from the outside to go, hang on, what's going on? That $31 billion would pay our, uh, all our debts and we'd well, be clear immediately. Absolutely. Well, that's a national... Let's have a jubilee. That's a national figure you're talking about. I'm, the Auditor General is actually the Victorian Auditor General and he's interested in what's going on here in Victoria. Now, according to Farad Thomason, she says, four months after the Andrews government introduced new laws, which um, Dale referred to, Giving greater funding certainty to non-government schools, the Auditor-General, John Doyle, has launched a probe into whether state grants are being used, and I quote, economically, efficiently and effectively in the Catholic and independent school systems. Now, in a very rare public interview, because the Auditor-General likes to usually stay behind the scenes, he's come public, and he said that in addition to this, is revealed that the government is unlikely to provide him, as the Auditor-General, with a long-awaited follow-the-money powers until after he completes his audit of the East-West Link, just by the way, which may mean a second audit is required once the legislation is passed and put in place to ensure Victorians get the full story about the controversial road proposal. The Auditor-General has also criticised the Education Department for poor record-keeping, a growing gap between city and country schools, and consistently failing to follow many of the recommendations that the Auditor-General has already made in previous reports. The Auditor-General, in going public, has warned that resources in his office were becoming stretched, given the number of audits underway and the growing focus on government spending on infrastructure and information communications technology but the government has rejected a request for additional funding in the May state budget. So they're going to try and starve him out if he starts saying, finding out awkward things. I think I can actually imply from that. But returning to the article by Farrar Thomason, published in The Age on June 28th, she says, A review of state grants in non-government schools is likely to be tabled by the end of this year. Mr Doyle, the Auditor-General, has said more than $650 million in recurrent funding is provided to the private schooling systems of both independent and Catholic sectors each year. But how this money was used was not routinely examined by the Education Department at all. It just goes off. Yeah, that'd be right. Well, they haven't got enough uh, resources to look after their own, and some of their own have proved to be um, less than either able or... Mm have much probity. Now, Mr Doyle is the Auditor-General here in the state of Victoria, and that $650 million he's referring to is but a tiny drop in the bucket compared to what the federal government costs up for private education. And I would suggest to you quite strongly, Jean, and dear listeners, that there is no follow-the-money powers when it comes to that massive amount of money which is coming to independent and Catholic schools in Victoria from the federal government. In 2008, there was an audit, and uh, that discovered that uh, individual schools were looked at once every 50 years. Indeed, which is really not the way it should be used when you're well, not the way it should be when you're it's talking about taxpayers. It's a farce. It's a farce, and it's. I would say if you don't, if you give money to people and don't look at where they spend it, it is in fact an, an environment that is ripe for corruption. Mm. Now, the Auditor-General, and to quote the Auditor-General, he says, there's quite limited accountability coming back the other way as to where the money is used, how it is used, and whether its use is effective. Uh, 
and he said this in an interview with the Sunday Age. Now, the Auditor General in Victoria's latest annual report points out that six private schools closed in 2012-2013 after experiencing financial difficulties. Findings it put, and I quote, additional pressure on the government school system to accommodate those students and place these students at a considerable disadvantage. He said, given non-government schools were receiving public funds, the Parliament had the right to know how these funds were spent. I think that's absolutely fundamental. I mean, it's what Dale was talking about in the Article 18. If you're going to give public funds to people to benefit their religion, then you really should know where this money is being spent. Now, Mr Doyle, the Auditor General's comments come six months after the Andrews government failed, or faced, I should say, a backlash over new laws guaranteeing private schools would consistently receive at least 25% of the funding given to public schools in Victoria. I point out once more, for those people who are listening to this saying, oh, they only get a quarter of what uh, public schools get, that's not the case at all. What he's talking about is state grants, not federal ones. If you put the two together, as has been shown quite conclusively by researchers from the ACEO and up in New South Wales, when you put those two together, private schools are receiving more public funds, that's excluding fees, than equivalent state schools in many, many cases around Victoria and Australia. It's gone too far. But to return again to Faraz Thomason's article, um, she says, while governments defending these changes, teachers, parents and education officials accused Labor of betraying the principles of the Gonski funding reforms, which, of course, they did, which recommended a sector-blind system in which funding is allocated on students based on need. Well, that's not what's happened when it comes to the state of Victoria, and Gonski is a voucher system, so... Look, it's just very simple. Don't give money to private religious institutions to educate the children of adherents of those religious institutions. Um, Don't give government funding for those purposes. It's really quite simple. Um, Asked about the audit, (laughs) the Catholic Education Office Executive Director Stephen Elder said, and I quote, This presents us with an opportunity to show we are already subject to highest levels of accountability in the country and that we fully comply with our funding agreements with both Commonwealth and state governments. Well, yes, Mr Stephen Elder. Um, However, however, as has been... Every every dollar is spent. Let's see it. Let's see it. Let the public see it. Well, I would say, Mr Stephen Elder, that's actually just not true. Um, That's a false statement because you are exempt, as Dale pointed out, from reporting. So you are not held to the highest, highest standard because you're exempt from reporting by the, by the Charities Commission inquiry, uh, which happened a couple of years ago. So that's actually factually untrue. Mr Elder also went on to say, multiple government inquiries have found we are already providing good value for money. Um, well, yeah, once you set up, I'm sure would say that. However, the Auditor General, with any luck, will be able to dig a little deeper if he's given the powers to do so. Um, you're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's wonderful to have your company. We're here every week to defend public education because public education needs defending because it is being attacked. It's being attacked from several fronts. It's been attacked over the decades and indeed over this century, often by sectarian religious interests and now at the moment by also the free marketeers or free market theologists. Um, This intersection um, between the free market and religious bodies, and probably I would say some extreme and some certainly very well funding, has been going on for a long time. And after the break, I'd just like to discuss a particularly poignant issue when it comes to the questions of religious extremism, which has blown up in New South Wales over the last week. I think it's a very interesting case study, and it's something a series of events that the dogs prophesied um, and have been prophesying for many years. And now it's come to pass that religious extremists um, in state schools are now being brought into focus in New South Wales. And I think an in-depth analysis of exactly what's going on up there is worthy of the attention of this program and indeed worthy of the attention of you, our dear listeners. Hello 3CR listeners, and especially to those of you who tune into Out of the Blue on Sunday mornings. We've been having a great time bringing you news, issues and events from the Big Blue Oceans for the past year. Now it's time for us to raise some money for the station and keep our show on air for another great year. This year the Out of the Blue Trivia Night is back. Join the Out of the Blue team for a rollicking night of marine trivia and games. 
Bring your competitive streak and show us what you know about all things marine. The Out of the Blue Trivia Night is happening on Wednesday the 5th of August at 6.30pm. The all-ages event is at Highlander Bar in the Melbourne CBD. Full price tickets are $20, concession tickets are $10. For full details, check out our Facebook page, Out of the Blue on 3CR. Tickets can be purchased on the web at Eventbrite. Just search for Out of the Blue. Yes, welcome back. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast. It's good to have your company. Um, We're about to begin here on this program something that might get a few people hot under the collar. We're talking about religious extremism. Um, Religious extremism takes many forms in Australia, but at the moment, certainly in the popular press, Islamic religious extremism has captured the popular imagination. Yeah, Australia at the moment is gripped with fear, probably I would say in some cases fear and loathing about the the nature of Islam and how it's intersecting with with the Australian body body politic. And this this has come to a head in in New South Wales because in a public school in New South Wales, there's been a bit of a kerfuffle. Now, I should outline firstly what the kerfuffle's all about, and then I'll outline what the implications are for public schooling and indeed schooling across Australia. Uh, because there is now in New South Wales a probe into extremism in schools. And um, there, the national security correspondent for the Murdoch Press, Paul Maley, has outlined what he says the problem is. He says a Muslim extremist is on trial for a string of offences um, preached at the same time as a Sydney high school is currently the target of counter, a counter-terrorism investigation into Islamic extremism within the education system. This is Mr Rabbit trying to prove that he's making Australia more secure. Well, I'm not sure if it relates directly to Mr Rabbit, although I'm sure Mr Rabbit will be quite happy about this because the New South Wales Premier, Mike Baird, has announced a sweeping audit of prayer groups across the state school system. And this is, of course, amid fear that Islamic State-inspired ideology has infiltrated the public school system through state government-sponsored religious education programs. Well, that's true, because the state government in New South Wales and here in Victoria um, pays money to religious groups to go into state schools and do, inverted commas, religious education. And what else did they expect? Well, this, well, this, this is the question, Jane. This is the question. Now, the audit, which Mike Baird in New South Wales has put in place, will cover programs of all religions and we'll seek to gauge the scale of the problem facing the education system. Mr Baird in New South Wales vowed to ensure that extremism finds no foothold in our schools and communities. Now, I think I'd just like to step out of this article in The Australian because he's talking about extremism finding no footholds. Well, I'd just like to pull apart this idea about what religious extremism is, what extremism is, and what religious education and the relationship between those three ideas. Because they're not the same, but I think there's a quite significant crossover. Now, this move by the Premier in New South Wales follows revelations that were published in The Australian um, a week or so ago that counter-terrorism police have begun a formal investigation into allegations a 17-year-old student (coughs) at Sydney's Epping Boys High School was preaching Islamic State ideology in the playground. Now, the Australian newspaper understands that the preaching occurred under the auspices of an official school-sanctioned prayer group conducted by the students. It is understood the probe into Epping Boys High School is one of a number of police investigations involving extremism in schools. The exact number is not known, but it is understood that to be very small, with none presenting any current threat to teachers or students. The Australian newspaper from the Murdoch Press has also revealed that Epping Boys High once allowed Islamic extremist Milad bin Ahmad Shah al-Azmazi into the school to preach to students. Now this fellow is in jail at the moment and he's awaiting trial for the near-fatal shooting of a man outside a gay nightclub in um, Sydney in the northwest, and an alleged ram raid at the Macquarie Central shopping mall. In 2009, this fellow was allowed into the Epping Boys High School, apparently under the school-sanctioned prayer program that allows students and community leaders to conduct sessions on Islam. 
It is understood the content of these sessions promoted a complaint resulting in him being banned from further participation in the program. Now, the counter-terrorism sources have described the 17-year-old, who is at the centre of the current counter-terrorism inquiry, as an associate and acolyte of um, Amadzi, a former student of the Epping Boys High. Now, the Australian understands that the student, who has not been named, is no longer attending the Boys High School. He's been withdrawn from the school following consultation between the Education Department, the school and the boys' parents. The decision was understood to have been taken, and I quote, for the, his own well-being. Oh, well-being. Yes. The teenager will complete Year 12 elsewhere. It is not clear if this means he will enrol in another school or make other arrangements. The Education Department of New South Wales and New South Wales Police will send a joint memo to all schools reminding them of their obligation to report alleged incidents of extremism. There's that word again, extremism. Is the first step in a suite of measures planned by Mr Baird, who vowed yesterday he would never allow schools to become settings for extremist ideologies. There's the word again. Our schools should be, and this is Mr Baird, and I quote him, our schools should be and are havens of tolerance, places where students can explore the reaches of imagination and knowledge. The Premier said the rise of Islamic State meant that schools, police and other authorities were operating, and I quote, in a new and different world as far as risks to young people are concerned. So that's outlining the problem, which Mr Baird is describing as a problem of extremism. But I think in many ways this problem of extremism is actually a very simplistic way of looking at it. I'm not quite sure what it means. And there's been some comment upon Mr Baird's actions because in the Newcastle Herald, now the Newcastle Herald is a very interesting paper, they led the fight in terms of um, making people aware of what, of, of, of what was going on. And it, the revelations of the Newcastle Herald led directly to the opening up of a Royal Commission into institutional approaches to ch- childhood sexual abuse. Um, some people will call it a radical atheist paper, but I don't think that's fair. They just talk about corruption in systems and they talk about the corruption well, they have spoken about the corruption of the interchange, the intersection points between religion and the state in New South Wales. Now, the Newcastle Herald, um, in an article by Joanne McCarthy, a very interesting journalist, um, has responded to Mr Baird's pronouncements about his fighting against extremism in state schools. And this is what Joanne says. She says the New South Wales Department of Education was, was warned... It had repeatedly failed to respond to the foreseeable risk of religious groups trying to convert students in public schools on days before a police investigation into allegations that a Sydney student has preached Islamic State ideology in the playground. Yes, I don't know what else they expected. The department has allowed public schools to serve as, and I quote, mission fields for faith groups Mm. and has failed to act on complaints of religious material containing violent messages. Newcastle Academic and Human Rights Advocacy Australia spokesman Dr Darren Morgan said in a letter to the Departmental Secretary, Dr Michelle um, Bruniges, on this was back in July 20th, so this is just, just before this all happened, they were warned. Now, he said it left principals ill-equipped to identify attempts to convert or prostatize, and this warning followed more than 10 months of complaints. But while the department in March this year acknowledged Dr Morgan's concerns that Christian and other religious groups have, and I quote, aims of converting students to their religious beliefs, it supports prayer groups in New South Wales schools based on the principles of freedom of religion and conscience. Back to Article 18, back to what Dale was saying, Mm. using the International Decade of Human Rights to justify prosthetising in state schools. Now, just recently, on Tuesday just gone past, New South Wales Premier, as we know, announced an audit into prayer groups in public schools after allegations of an Epping Boys High School student preaching Islamic State ideology in that school. Mr Baird said, and I quote him again, we will never allow schools to become settings for extremist ideologies. But Mr Morgan said... Why should they be places for any kind of ideology? Yes, and this is, this is the point, because Mr Baird's happy to put the word extremist out there into the, into the world of the political ether. 
But in fact, extremist, what is extremist? What is extremist? What you don't agree with. Indeed. And Mr Morgan has pointed this out because he said repeated warnings had gone unheard because complaints about extremist Christian views were, fell on deaf ears. He says, what's happening right now is exactly what I warned the Education Department about. He says, they allow faith-based organisations committed to beliefs, contrary to the values of public education, into schools outside the time allocated uh, to Scripture, and they don't manage the foreseeable risks. He says, it's a mess, and you can't cherry-pick which religion with extremist views you allow in and which ones you don't. In complaints in September, November and February of 2014, Dr Morgan called on the department to stop religious volunteers from having access to children outside scripture hours because of the unmonitored and unregulated nature of the access and the stated views of some Christian groups in the Hunter Valley Central Coast region and also indeed Sydney schools. Dr Morgan back then asked the department to act after some evangelical, and I would say extremist, Christian groups stated that they wanted to, and I quote, high school students to take the gospel to the school community, offering enticements such as chips for Jesus, lunchtime sessions, and offering um, disturbing views on homosexuality contrary to departmental guidelines. In a letter to the department in November, Dr Morgan alleged a Christian group advised students to stand firm in the Bible and not condone homosexuality, for instance. The department was fain to act in these cases where religious groups made it clear that their intention was, this is their intention, and I quote, to make disciples of those children who do not identify as Christian. That is to to convert, to proselytize, and I would suggest to create, and here's this word, here's this word, to create an extremist view of the world. There is a place for this, and it's in Sunday schools, and it's in churches, and it's in mosques, but it's not in public schools, which are open to all children and parents and uh, teachers, with offence to none. And it's interesting because the reply from the Education Department sent to Dr Morgan by the Department's Deputy Secretary, Gregory Pryor, advised Dr Morgan that complaints would be made to school principals and, and I quote, these systemic issues that the Department does not want to engage in. Well, they have to now. Well, they have to now because the extremist ideology of one religion or another has sort of popped up its, well, I would say ugly head um, in New South Wales, and now they're coming to the big question. It's Are a- they going to make a determination on good religions and bad religions and okay religions and purple religions and white religions and red religions and religions of all colours? Are they going to make judgments about which religions they're going to allow into state schools and which religions they're not, based upon a determinant, a t- a sort of some sort of determination on, and I quote, whether that is an extremist religion or not. And are they going to um, give state aid to particular religions and not to others? Because you're actually right back with the whole meaning of establishment and what it means to establish religion. Uh, And I think that you will find that uh, contrary to expectation, Australia is in a very strong position with Section 116, a bit like the uh, American First Amendment it is. Our problem is that we've got high court judges who don't know how to interpret it properly. Oh, absolutely. That's our problem. The high court judges say, oh, establishment clause this, establishment clause that. Look, if you're giving money to a subcontractor who's a subcontractor and they happen to be religious, it's nothing to do with the Constitution, which, of course which, of course, is the fundamental problem that goes back to... The Supreme Court in the United States worked out that there should be a wall of separation between church and state, between religion and the state, Mm. and it's the only way forward if you are actually going to educate all of our children and give them access Mm. to educational opportunities with offence to none. Mm. Now, the New South Wales Greens MP and education spokesperson... um, 
John Kay, said fundamentalist Christian groups. Now, he we use the word fundamentalist. Does fundamentalist mean the same thing as extremist? I don't know. But no. fundamentalist Christian groups have been given free reign in New South Wales public schools. And he says, the minute there's a whiff of radical Islam exploiting the lack of effective regulation, Premier Mike Baird decides to act. Now, the Greens supported the audit of religious activities in school, but said the New South Wales government had, and I quote, allowed radical Islam to infiltrate New South Wales public schools by failing to respond to alleged breaches by other religious groups over an extended period of time. So what else did they expect once they bit the bullet and got themselves into this religious mess? The Um, only way forward is to have the wall of separation between religion and the state. Religion is a personal family matter. Education is the state's matter because we pay taxes and we want our children to be educated. Hmm. Um, and I'll just return to a, a broader picture about this. And we often talk about it here on, on The Dogs, this idea of separation from religion and the state. And when you don't get it, you get problems, which is exactly what Mike, Mike Baird is finally is having to deal with. Now, Mike Baird, of course, has problems because there's a fellow called Fred Nile up there in New South Wales and he needs Fred's vote. And Fred is a fundamentalist Christian. And Fred has very strong ideas about people wandering around not, not, not having Jesus's love yet and how they should have it, whether they like it or not. Um, but before we finish off on this uh, this particular topic, there's a very interesting article on the Rational Razor, which is all about atheism, philosophy, and rational thought. Um, and it relates to not just religious people wandering around wanting to convert people, but the problems that intellectuals and politicians have with actually dealing with this very fundamental idea, um, this very fundamental idea which has already been dealt with in history, and I think we should learn the lessons from history, um, but I think we'll outline that after the, after these messages. Writers, poets and graphic novelists, the Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Awards are now open. This is your chance to win up to $6,000 and gain recognition for your writing. The awards are for emerging writers residing in Victoria. Fire up your laptops, sharpen your pencils, fill your fountain pens and get writing. Find out more at melbourne.vic.gov.au slash lmcwa. City of Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Yeah, to broaden the discussion, just a few weeks ago there was a rally um, here in Melbourne. There's a mob called Reclaim Australia and a bunch of protesters that thought that Reclaim Australia weren't doing the right thing. The Reclaim Australia movement was anti-Islam. I think that's the broadest possible way of class, you know, trying to categorise what it is that were, they were doing. Um, there were indeed a lot of fundamentalist Christians involved in that process, but by no means were they the only people involved in the Reclaim Australia movement. Now, John Saffron, um, who's an interesting fellow, he's been around for a while now, um, went to the Reclaim Australia rally and he had some observations about what was going on there. And he said, after attending that rally, he says, in my experience, Australian intellectuals, you know, the folks who tell you what's going on on Q&A and the drum, just don't get religion. How scripture and faith is, in fact, a way of life. Mm-hmm. Essentially, these non-white people (laughs) are here because the scriptures tell them that Jesus Christ is the last prophet. He's referring there to Danny uh, Nalia, I think it is, who's um, part of the Catch the Fire Ministries. He's of Sri Lankan background, and he's talking about someone who's non-white because I suppose he's not. But Danny Nalia um, is actually just telling that Jesus Christ is the last prophet. 
And the messages of the Quran are an affront to fundamentalist Christian people, as viscerally offensive as a cartoon of, of Muhammad is to a Muslim. Now, although John Safran's comments, according to Hugh Harris, um, are made in relation to the religious motivation of Christian anti-Islam protesters at the reclaim rallies, they actually apply equally um, to the farce that's going on right now in New South Wales schools. Now, sparking, as I said, this current controversy, there is a year 12 boy at Epping Boys High School who's allegedly preaching radical Islam. And this came days after the Education Department was warned of foreseeable risks for allowing preaching in the schoolyard from religious groups that they, in fact, the government had invited to provide scripture classes um, and, indeed, school chaplaincy. But sadly, it gets worse. Because for 10 months, the New South Wales Department of Education has fielded complaints of Christian groups proselytising and disseminating homophobic material. And here we get back to Darren Morgan again, um, who, who issued the warning. And I'll, I'll just, I think it's worth repeating. He says, what's happening right now is exactly what Darren warned them about. They're allowing faith-based organisations committed to beliefs contrary to the values of public education into schools outside the time allocated for scripture, and they don't manage the foreseeable risks. He says, it's a mess. But you can't cherry-pick which religions with extremist views you allow in and which ones you do not. Now, at the moment in New South Wales, and I would suggest around Australia, fundamentalist Christian groups enjoy free reign in the playground, in state schools. And this, is, of course, is according to John Kay. But Dr Morgan, who made the complaints in September, November and February, advised that unmonitored access to students outside scripture hours, as demonstrated by lunchtime trips for Jesus and various other things, stated that high schools, students who are Christian, are being actively encouraged to spread their message in state schools. <sighs> but apparently, Christian fundamentalists are one thing and Islamic radicals are another. Mr Baird, uh, the Premier up there, said we will never allow schools to be setting for extremist ideologies, but he does want them, and very happy them, to be settings for Christian fundamentalists to proselytise. Which indeed gets us back to this fundamental problem. Now, we can talk about state schools and proselytising, but there is in fact the whole bigger question. State aid to private, private schools, schools is in fact... fact giving huge amounts of money to fundamentalist religious groups. Fundamentalist religious groups of all denominations. Because when it comes to fairness in religion, you either fund all of them or you fund none. And if they're extremist or fundamentalist or the views are Scientological or the views are extremist brethrenish or the views are Catholic or the views are Anglican or the views are Uniting Church or the views are Presbyterian or the views are Methodist at the Methodist Ladies College. Oh, sorry. The Methodist Ladies College is no longer Methodist, so I have to take that one out. Um, that, the government's funding all of these things too. So this whole issue of this fellow in, this, this, this fellow in a high school in Epping North is just dipping a tiny little toe into the edge of the water of the problem. Robert, can we forget about the word extreme or fundamental? It's very simple. A person with a strong religious belief believes that they have this thing called the truth. They just do. So they want the state to give them money to promote that. But uh, in the process, if they then say, well, they should all be funded, which they're now saying, then they're quite happy for the state to also give money for what they would consider to be untruths. You've talked about Danny Nalia and you've talked about imams. Danny Nalia would find uh, the, the beliefs of a, of a Muslim to be offensive and untrue and vice versa. The the Muslim person would consider that Danny Nalia's point of view or his religious belief is untrue. And a, an atheist would think they're all untrue. So you're asking the state through the taxpayers to give millions, now billions of dollars, to the promotion of untruths. But I understood that we were on about educating. We were on about educating our children. Educara is the word that this comes from. You lead the child's mind out to find the truth. 
you don't give it a received truth in education. So we have a very, very fundamental, can I use that term, fundamental philosophical problem here. And we really do have to go back to the High Court and expect them to interpret Section 116 properly. It says that the state should not establish any, A-N-Y, not a particular, but any religion. And that's very, very clear. None of these religious beliefs should receive one cent of public money under Section 116 of our Constitution. And it's more than time that we got back to basics here and that none of them, absolutely none of them, should have one penny of our money for any of their enterprises. And that goes for their exemptions as well. It is, in fact, the only way forward in a democratic, enlightened state. And that's what we had before the 1960s. But unfortunately, and uh, the main offender here was the Roman Catholic Church, which had its own system and demanded money, and the others very happily got on the bandwagon to to bring in the money. And now we have a whole host of new religions that are non-Christian. We have our Hindus, and Hinduism is the religion which is expanding at the greatest rate in Australia at the moment, not the Muslim religion. And we have our Buddhists, and we have our Muslims, and we have a whole host of others. We have our Sikhs. You name it, we've got them in Australia. Why should we have to give them one penny of our money? If they really believe in their particular religion, they will dig into their own pockets and pay for their imams and their priests and their parsons themselves. Hmm. At the risk of saying something really controversial, if the quality of someone's truth requires requires government support, then I think the quality of the truth that they're presenting is something that needs to be called into question. Well, the tragedy for a large number of these religions, particularly our Christian uh, uh, people, is that um, the more money they get, uh, the more hypocritical they appear and there are less people there are on the pews of the churches. And there's nothing surprising about this. Uh, the dogs said this would happen. And in the dogs, we have good Christian people who understand what the separation of religion and the state means because it's good for religion as much as it is good for the state. Yes, you've been listening to The Dogs Programme here on 3CR on 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast. If you're interested in in the probably quite controversial issues we've been discussing here today, um, you can find out more about us actually at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week, when we examine the news, views, reviews and interviews surrounding defending public education, until next week, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went 
Sir. Mm-hmm. 